Okay, listen, I think we're going to just go. Let's do this, huh? Yeah. I can't do the Australian accent, but typically I <laughs> I start my show. I say, good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diodora. The shoes on my feet, the brand made legendary by Bjorn Borg, currently worn by world number 25, Jan Leonard Strupp, who had a big win last night. Yeah, late, late late win against Rinky Hijikata on three. That was wild. It's also uh, clothes worn by world number 59, the clay court of the Italian young woman, Martina Trevisan. Use my code, if you're in the States, use my code, APPROVED in all capitals, at hollabirdsports.com for 15% off of all Diodora performance tennis shoes. We love Diodora. Diodora powers the show, and that is what's up. We're at the Journal Cafe. Thank you to the Journal Cafe. Uh, John at the Journal Cafe is, made it happen. I'm seeing some familiar faces walking in here. Today's guest is a University of Michigan grad. They just won the college football national championship. That's a big deal. He was the tennis writer at the New York Times, 2011 to 2022. He's written very meaningful articles for Slate and Racket Magazine. He has been alive and amplified on uh, CNN and the BBC, uh, on Australian television as well, particularly when Djokovic was put into uh, incarceration. He was all over the TVs. Uh, and last night you were uh, on BBC Radio all through the night. Yes, that's right. That's Ben Rothenberg. A round of applause for Ben, everybody. This is cool. Thank you, everybody, for coming. This is great to have everybody here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Craig for setting this up. How's the How's the audio? Can everyone hear us? Okay. Good. Very right, great. Ben. Okay. Yep. Good. So listen. As many of you know, we do the five set format. The first set's the off the court report. You came here from Washington D.C. Yep. And uh, the the Osaka book came out just a few days ago. A week ago today. Yeah. So week- it, it came out Tuesday last week, January 9th. I feel like I always say pre-order now, just reflexively from whenever the date comes out. But yeah, it's been out for a week now and you can order and actually buy in real time now. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. It's been a whirlwind. It's my first time with a book out like this. And so I'm learning the sort of life cycle of the thing and what to expect. It feels like it's going okay. And people like yourself who've read the book, I know have been pretty positive about it. We love the book. The book is awesome. We're going to talk about the book down the, down the line in the third set. But so my question to you is, how many times have you been to Melbourne? 11 times. This is my 11th trip here. First came here in 2012, came for nine years in a row, uh, then missed the 2021 year, which is a hard lockdown pandemic whenever I had to do the two weeks in the hotels. I did not make that trip. And then I came back in 2022 when I was working on the book to shadow Naomi because she was playing both a warm-up tournament here in, in Melbourne when they had the warm-up event the first week of the year here. And then she played the main draw Australian Open, made third round. Had match points to play Ash Barty in the fourth round, which would have been great, but we narrowly missed that blockbuster match. And then wasn't didn't travel at all last year while I was working on the book. Now, uh, do you have any interesting travel secrets that you do? I drink a lot of water. It's probably my drug of choice on the plane. Water. A lot of water, yeah. Intermittent walks around the plane. Nothing, nothing too, nothing too uh, scandalous here. No, no drinking. Not really. Maybe like one glass of red wine if I'm feeling saucy. And where do you stay when you come here? Do you stay at one of the media deal hotels? I've stayed a bunch of different places in the past. When I first came here, I stayed in a couple of Airbnbs. I stayed at a place in the back of a milk bar that was in Abbotsford, one of the nearby suburbs here. Shout out for Abbotsford if Abbotsford's in the house. Anybody? No? A lot okay. of smiles in the group here. Yeah. We got about 30 people. Yeah, we got a nice town of people. Great. 
Yeah. So, so now I stay within walking distance the last few years, which has been great. So I'm staying at the, in on Collins street, actually like a block and a half away from here. So it's been perfect. It's about a 15, 20 minute walk downhill to the tennis. I mean, it's, it walking home whenever you want. So that's really nice. It's the only grand slam. Watch well, Wimbledon. I can say it too, but only time where you're in the middle of a city and you can be close to the tennis. That's a real gift. By the way, before we even get into this, this Melbourne tournament, this yeah. Australian open is just so great. It's so great. It's so great. No, it feels like part of the city and then this takes over the city and the sort of public consciousness of the city, like none of the other three Grand Slams do, I think. And and yeah, it's, it's a delight to be here and also just on a sort of, you know, happiness, mental health level, like being away from winter for a full month. And that's why they call it the happy slam. It's all these depressed Europeans and people and Americans coming down and, and being happy to be in the sun. And for those who haven't been here, you should come here. We do your it. winter here. This is the best. I can't get over what a great time I'm having, and I've been here four times. Yep. Let's move into the second set. This is the on the core report. We're gonna get right into this. We're not. We're gonna let's go quick because sure. I wanted. I want to get to the book signings and everything. Okay. What were your impressions of the Osaka Carol Garcia match? I thought Garcia played incredibly well. To my slight annoyance with this book out, I mean she was great. And she's been someone who's been very hot and cold in her career. People who follow her at all know. I mean, she's been top five. Then she was a down to outside of top 50. She won Cincinnati two years ago as a qualifier, which meant she was way outside of the sort of range of, of top players then. But she surged back into the top five, then ebbed back out of the top five. But she has that capability. And what I think we've seen from Naomi's first few matches in this tournament, is that in this year rather, is that players are stepping up to play their best against her so far. They don't care that she's he's rusty, that she's you know hasn't played much, that she's a new mom. All these things are they really want to step up and get this opportunity to play her. And and you saw it's like a lot like what happened with Serena for so many years. Serena always got everybody's best and knew that and would say things like, "My coach will show me video of these players playing against other people, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't have any relevance what they're going to do against me because against me they're going to play the match of their lives." And I think we saw that from Garcia last night for sure. She she said she was like crying and panicking through the afternoon. She was having a rough time, but got herself together, put up some vague inspirational quote on Twitter at four o'clock, which apparently really helped her out. And, and yeah, now she's uh, into the second round. And so Naomi has to be happy with her actual level of tennis. The losing first round is, is, is a rough result, no doubt, but she would have beaten a lot of people at this tournament. And I think she understands. Well, let's talk about the match a little bit. Um, first of all, it felt like a hot, hot match to me. Naomi debuted an outfit that is getting a lot of bounce, but well, I, I do want to add uh, Caro. Uh, not, I don't think a lot of people know this. Caro's wearing Yonex, but Caro's outfit was designed by a very famous designer, uh, a guy named Bob Smith, who's the original Nike designer. Okay. Caro is wearing a Bob Smith designed outfit. Uh, she's wearing New Balance shoes, which can't be, uh, you know, Yonex has their own shoes that they can't be totally happy about that. No, but she looked good too. But yeah, Naomi, Naomi actually made the unusual choice of wearing her match outfit into the press conference last night because she said she liked it so much she wanted people to see it again. So she said wanted a more, one more lasting chance to wear this jacket around because obviously the one tournament kind of thing for, for Naomi. So she was happy with it and she looked good and she played well and yeah, downer of her results slightly, but I think she's got a lot to be feeling good about in her team as well. It was interesting at two all, um, it, it was, I made, I made some notes, Ben, because I wanted to be prepared for this, you know, and, uh, I didn't want to just broad stroke it, but, you know, at, at, at two all, she was up 40, 15 and she gave it all back. She gave, she, she lost four straight points. Yes. Um, 
that felt to me like a, a lack of match play. And that was the only break in the whole match. I mean, the match was very tight throughout there. She, Nami didn't earn a single break point in the match. So that was, uh, that's tough. Hard to win a match without breaking. Did you feel like the quality was as good as everyone's talking about? Yeah, I did. I think it was a really high quality match. Caroline, Caroline played really well. Very straightforward match in a lot of ways. It, only one break of serve, as I said, so not a ton of swings, but Garcia never blinked. I kept waiting for her to blink. I kept waiting for her to, to get shaky as she was serving it out, but she, I thought really, so too. but she really didn't. Did Naomi say anything interesting in the presser? She was fairly upbeat. She understands that she's taking time, and, and she was pretty happy with her play. She should be with that kind of level she showed. She said she's playing a pretty full schedule this year, at least playing uh, Dubai, Indian Wells, Miami, Charleston. When the Dubai and Charleston she hasn't played in recent years at all, and maybe adding another tournament there. That was the tentative schedule, but now that she only got three matches on this trip to Australia, she might want to add more. Maybe she'll play Doha or she'll play Abu Dhabi or something like that. For, yeah, so I think she's, she's committed. She feels good and, and knows it won't come immediately. That was something that her coach was talking to her. Her, new, her returning coach, Wim Fassett, was saying as they were, he was discussing, try, potentially working with her again, saying, I need you to not you do have perspective. If, thing, if you go to Australia and draw someone tough and lose first round, it's not the end of the world. You, have, you can't spiral from that. And that's something that I think uh, Naomi did happen as it happened. She played a great player playing well and it's not spiraling. So all that seems good. You know, it's funny. The draw is the draw. Uh, we love those, uh, those hot first round matches, but it maybe it would have been in hindsight nice that if she had had, uh, you know, a, a reciprocal wild card from uh, France. From France, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Naomi in the book uh, in a little bit, but let, you know, yesterday was an, an interesting day from my perspective. I think for all intents and purposes, we saw the last of Vavrinka. We saw the last of Murray. We saw the last of Milos. Um, a day before, we may have seen the last, I think we saw the last of Alizé Cornet. Mm -hmm. Sarah Arani may have finished up yesterday. Uh, were you guys talking about that in the media center? Certainly Murray. I mean, Murray's match was, was bleak, and I obviously was on BBC right after that that match and so there's a lot of talk about Murray and Murray was very open about saying he doesn't know if he'll be back here and doesn't necessarily expect to and sort of has a finish line in sight but he said the sort of window of how long he can play narrows if he keeps playing like that and that was a very frustrating no-show match from from Murray to lose 6-4 6-2 6-2 to Echeverry who's who he beat last year and it's not a player he would be officially intimidated by that was a disappointing match for sure to become out that flat but that, that happens a lot this sort of tail end of, of a great player's careers you know, uh, whether they're retired, like Andre Agassi during his retirement tour, Chris Everett, they all, they had a couple of tournaments where they would show up and just really not play a good match and play really flat and just not feel it that day. Uh, that can come with age. And for Andy, obviously, it's devastating to have that happen at one of his favorite tournaments in a, a Grand Slam. Was the key a court assignment, a punishment for his uh, ire with the tournament last year, uh, making him play till six in the morning? I cannot imagine it was a punishment. It was a bad idea. I mean, because there were like long lines trying to get in everywhere. And it was just like a real disservice to fans. I saw these lines that were out there from the, before the match started. I said, like, people are not getting in. People are not going to leave this Andy Murray match. And it should have been on Kia or Murphy Court for sure. I understand they want to have like a lively atmosphere, but that was, and have it be packed. But that was just a disservice to, to the viewers. Um, what were, were there any other, imp uh, your impressions of the tournament so far? Uh, Result-wise, yeah, it, it's. Early, Djokovic got a, a real scare in his first match against, or not, he wasn't down, but he was uh, challenged by Dino Prismic for sure and was not f feeling great. And that kid's really good. 18-year-old qualifier from Croatia who I'd heard of as a junior and hadn't seen much of live. Uh, but he was really strong, pushing Djokovic to four hours. And that's not something that, Djokovic rarely plays interesting matches down here. So that was uh, a real test for him. I mean, that kid 
took him to a different place. There was a moment in the match where he sort of, he sort of like bent over where I, I thought, we, it always happens that way, right? You think that Novak's in trouble and he's never in trouble, but that, they, that kid played well. Everyone's talking about that kid. Yeah, he was great and looking forward to seeing more of him. Did you hear from him? Did anyone speak to him? I did not go to his press. I went to Djokovic's press. They actually put Prismic in like a small room, which he wasn't even transcribed, which I thought was ill-advised. Andre Agassi was here. You know more about that. What can you tell us about that? I know what I've heard from you is that he's here. He's uh, doing he's doing an Uber Eats commercial or something here. He's well, no, it's it's running. It's running. Has anyone seen that commercial? You haven't seen it. Some people have. You guys all been extra tennis. You don't yeah. even watch the TV. You guys are always. <laughs> The, the, it's a cute commercial, but Andre, we haven't seen Andre in a lot of years. What I can't, my, what I can't say is there was a father and son dressed up as circa 90s on, Andre Agassi with wearing like the wigs and their neon sort of Nike outfits. And they were looking for Andre and they were talking to security guards at one of the entrances to the media center being like, we're here to see Andre. And just because they want to take a photo with him, I guess. And the security guard had no idea where Andre was. So I don't know. I hope they found Andre, but I didn't like their chance. The other AA in the draw, Amanda Annie Samova. Hmm? You know, won her first round match, kind of shook up the draw a little bit, beating the 13th seed. Yes, yeah, that's one of the, yeah, she she played great. That was a, a return I didn't expect this soon. In a lot of ways, she'd been very checked out of the sport for a while. She started attending college. She was painting, selling paintings online. And she actually, I mentioned her in the epilogue of, the, of my book. She she was someone who I think kind of followed in Naomi's footsteps of, of being willing to step away when she wasn't enjoying it. And she said unbearable for her was the word she used last year. And so she took six months off. And actually practiced with Naomi here. She, she was... Uh, They've, they've been buddies. They've sort of kindred spirits in an interesting way. And, and yeah, she good to see her back. And that's unusual. Naomi, generally speaking, doesn't practice for right. I'm told with other, with other players. Yeah. Amy Samova and Jabir, the two people she's friendly with. So it's more about vibes than, than practice for Naomi. Has there been any interesting politic, politic talk inside of the media center? Are we hearing anything about the PTPA? I haven't heard any specifics, but those people are definitely here. They're the PTPA uh, guy, I, who actually lives in D.C., but I'd never met him. But we sort of briefly said hellos yesterday and plan to catch up with him later this week. Is that right? Yeah. Are you, are you hearing anything interesting about the, the machinations of the WTA? I hope they get a, a, a tour finals bid this month. That'd be nice to get to be ahead of schedule. To get that ahead of schedule. Yeah, uh, uh, but they still are looking at for a full-time replacement for Steve Simon and his post, so uh, they're still not resolved anything yet. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion show. We normally talk about your career, but I think we'll just talk about the book. Yeah. First and foremost, I read the book from pillar to post. I read every page of that book. I love that book. Quite often, we're seeing we're seeing sort of regurgitations of careers, and that's not what this is. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, it's a thick book. It's 452 pages, but once people get started, uh, they move. You said you move pretty fast through it once you got started, which has been a relief to me that everyone's motored through it. Books a bag of chips. The book you just can't stop. You can't stop. You know. You're... Okay, sure. Yeah, Pringles maybe. Once you pop, you can't stop. That that what it is? Yeah, Doritos. You can't stop. Like the 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 Cool Ranch Doritos. Some kind of chip. Cool yeah. Ranch Doritos. Chris here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I described it as an anthropological study. You really, you really did a deep dive on the genesis of the player. Yeah. And the woman. That was interesting and exciting for me to do. A lot of the, my favorite parts of the book to report were the parts I wasn't there for, you know, before she came on tour. I first met Naomi when she was 18 years old at this tournament, actually in the player lounge under Rod Laver Arena. She was playing her first Grand Slam main draw. She's ran into the top 100. I did a feature on her for the New York Times after she made the third round. And was immediately captivated by her encore and off and just her her quirks and her 
her low-key confidence, but also this mix of confidence and insecurity she had where she was saying she wanted to be the best player like no one ever was. I want to be the best like no one ever was, which is her famous Pokemon theme song quote that went right over my head in the moment live. And then also um, at the same time as that, she was saying she was like petrified of making eye contact with Serena and was like pretending to look at her phone in the locker room and just couldn't bear to be around so close to someone she cared about so much and was so important to her. That's what happens in tennis, right? We watch these these kids with this prodigious talent grow up and you really dug deep into her social media Mm -hmm. because that's where she emotes. That's where she prosecutes issues. And as, and where she works through things, especially in those early days of Twitter before she was kind of a, a big lightning rod in the culture. Uh, she would really sort of just explore her feelings and try to figure things out. And she's a very introverted person and a very shy person does not talk to a lot of people. And she once said she may speak like 10 sentences aloud in an average day. But her phone has been, a, or her computer, iPad, whatever it may be, but usually a phone, has been a safe space for her to sort of share her thoughts into in a, in a sort of diary sort of way, which as a, as a biographer, has yeah, a great uh, privilege to be able to access a lot of her concurrent running thoughts as things were happening in her life. The first time you met her was when? Was here. Yeah, 2016 here. Here. First time I was here, okay. chronologically 2016, yeah, 18 years old. You know, I went to her press conference after her first match, and she's this Japanese player, and there's this room full of Japanese reporters. You go to talk to this new Japanese player who's been winning matches at the Australian Open, and they say, okay, we'll do questions first in English and then then in Japanese. And she and she just looks, and she goes like, oh, my God, and just looks like so scared. And then she's like, uh, English only, please. And, and her, I'm not going to do a Naomi impression, really. But she, but she, yeah, she was didn't want to speak Japanese in public. And so already there was this disconnect of, of living in one country, feeling connected to another, representing that country and a sort of cultural divide and Japanese people trying to understand her, trying to understand her quirks and some things that were lost in translation at various times uh, across those cultures. She was quoting rappers. Like she was kind of, yeah. you know, she, she, she was providing a different flavor inside of the tennis because yeah. a lot of times we don't see that yeah she was very connected she called herself a child of the internet she was very connected to a bunch of different culture online sort of online meme culture that she was very fluent in and mostly didn't use impress but definitely could have if she thought anyone would understand it by the way if, i'm sorry if anybody wants to like touch a book while we're doing this you can just come up and grab one uh, they're available for sale i would get after too yeah yeah but if anybody <laughs> wants to just like touch it and, and feel it you should i i highly recommend it um you know, I don't know if people realize how few journalists there are in these in these pressers. Yeah. You had a front row seat for the trials and the tribulations, the wins, the losses in a meaningful way. What prompted the fact that you thought that she should she was worthy of uh, a biography at such an early juncture of the career? Yeah, I wanted to do a book about tennis for a while about some sort of topic and hadn't really found one that, that clicked with myself and publishers, which is two parts of the equation that have to have to work. And it was during the summer of 2020 when Naomi found her voice. This is in the subtitle of the book of Finding Her Voice. And and during that time, she made a considered effort to say, I'm, I'm, I'm done being shy. It's a, it's a declaration she made. And she said it was a real resolution. She had to try to meet more people. She did Instagram lives with other players, including Venus Williams, Iga Svantec, Gail Malfeast, uh, Francis Tiafo, I think, was also on there. A lot of different players who were there and she wanted to make a concerted effort and then came the summer black lives matter and that also animated something completely new and different her in terms of really speaking out about that and and that became a big part of her 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 call yeah, and, she, that, and that carried all through that summer and then obviously into new york the actual day i got the 
the idea to write the book was actually, I, I, I have notes of at least remembering, was uh, the day that play stopped during the Cincinnati tournament that was being held in New York in the bubble that year. And, and she put up a statement saying she wasn't going to play because of the most recent police shooting that happened in Wisconsin with Jacob Blake and, and the tours, ATP and WT and men and women sort of bent to her will and followed her will. And she shut down the tournament for an entire day. Um, and that kind of disruption and activism is not something we see in tennis at all. Tennis is incredibly, tennis players are incredibly loath to speak out on issues. I mean, you can see like Margaret Court Arena here, which has been a big flashpoint for a lot of fans and former players. No active players have said anything about that, meaningfully speaking out against that, saying that should change. That could be a great source of frustration for a lot of tennis fans. They, they wish players were more engaged and gave a shit more, honestly, about these things. And so Naomi doing that was a real breath of fresh air. And that it came from someone who was so shy and so reticent for so long that she was the person to transform and become this advocate and this disruptor. Uh, I wanted to learn more about that journey and, and where she came from. I don't want, I don't want to gloss over it. She and Corday, you know, masked up. She got a front, she got a private jet to Minnesota. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, but they masked up, they put their boots on the ground in the middle of, you know, meaningful, intense, at times, you know, sort of wild protest, yeah. you know, and, uh, she did not have to do that. No, she didn't have to do it, but she wanted to. And she said one of the other things, too, from her life is that being on this hamster wheel of the tennis store, you don't really get a chance to go off. So when the, the wheel paused because of the pandemic, it was a rare chance to step off and look around the world and see what was going on. And obviously what she saw in that summer was especially uh, moving to her. The most interesting thing you learned during the writing of the book? Um, I think I learned a lot about her motivation in her early life sort of the first eight chapters of the book the 100 pages or so about her family's motivation how much they really risked on this tennis thing how how tenuous and perilous it was and her mom uses the word reckless for what they for the sort of behavior of, of going all in on this tennis stream for both their daughters and the all or nothing bid they had and how close it came to to not working and how what sort of financial peril the family was in and how that hunger and that desperation um has really made her the champion she is but also at the same time it can be hard to turn off in this, in this late stage of her career, when she already has mil tens of millions, hundreds of millions, maybe of dollars in the bank, that she, yeah, still feels this sort of, this innate urge that she has to be doing more and more and more all the time. I don't like to spoil the book, but, you know, the, the, you just mentioned that it's amazing that they were right on the edge, that you uncovered an eviction. Yeah. You covered an eviction notice, like the week that she kind of cashed, she made some money. Yeah, was, she won some matches and made some Within a month, I think, of her, of she was ranked about 400 in the world. Mari was ranked lower than that, and maybe 700, 800 at the time. They were not making money in their career. It was This was June or July of this year, and Naomi had only made $6,000 all year. Mari made like $2,000 in prize money, so they were nowhere near breaking even. And yeah, there's a Florida, one of the things I found early was this Florida uh, public records uh, thing of their eviction notice that they got stamped on the front of their door of their of their apartment in uh, in June of that year and saying you have basically 30 days to vacate your your property. And within that window, Naomi go gets lucky to get as an alternate into the qualifying draw of Stanford and right side, right outside top 400 and goes and wins two matches in qualities against two players just outside top 100. Petra Martic is one of them, so a good player. Mm. And then and then she beats uh, Sam Stoser in the first round, who's a recent U.S. Open champion, ranked in the top 20 at that point. And Naomi has no business beating this person on any level as this inexperienced 16-year-old. But that that motivation she had from knowing how desperate times were for her family powered her to do something incredible. And actually, she was <laughs> I heard from her after during the book and the fact-checking that she never had as overtly drawn the, connected the dots between playing so amazingly and the, and the eviction. She just sort of 
that clicked for her as she, I heard secondhand as she was thinking about it and the way I had put those two items together in chronology. Uh, but for her, it wasn't as apparent what the kind of superpower that she had unlocked within herself. And you spoke to Sozer. Yes, I did. So, so Sozer at length at Wimbledon in 2022, and she was great about it. She, what did she say? She said basically that she had no idea who Naomi Osaka was before he went on court. She was expecting a, you know, typical sort of, honestly, like five foot three, five foot four Japanese player who would just come out there and sort of hit, you know, angles and, and soft shots. And Naomi walks on court being 5'11 and black, and she did not expect any of that and, and, and booming serves and took her a second to get her, her bearings. And, and she felt awful after the loss because rank, losing to a 16 year old ranks 400 uh, was, you know, left her shaken and saying, what is going on here? I should not be losing to this person. But then she said the, the match, the loss has aged very well, she said. So don't feel so bad. And when Naomi, the phrase she used was, uh, when Naomi started coming on tour, she's like, well, I know who this chick is. Like, <laughs> she lost her already. My man, if you're here for the event, you want to come, there's some, there's some spots right here in front. If you want to just, you can slide back. Okay. <laughs> some people don't want the, some people don't like the action. You can stay back there. That's fine. I'm over the back of there. It's a Naomi crowd. Naomi, you know, sort of shy crowd. It's good. What's the moral of the story? She lost last night. Mm -hmm. She lost with some anger and some spunk. Like she looks like she wants to get down to business. Yeah. How are you feeling about what you did and what's, what's going to happen next? I think she's doing well. I think that she's, you know, on track. Obviously, tennis is one of the tough things about it. It's very binary and black and white in terms of either success or failure. You win or you lose. And if you lose, you failed. And if you win, you succeed. And that is something that can be very tough because there's a lot more nuance too. If you watch the match and understand how well she played. And, and so, yeah, riding those highs and highs and both are tough to deal with. Both the winning streaks and the losses uh, come with their own challenges and own way of knocking you out of equilibrium. I just have a couple more questions. Well, what has she said about motherhood? She, she's enjoyed it, I think, for sure. She said, obviously, childbirth was incredibly painful for her, and she's talked about that as well. And, and she's also been very open about a lot of the physical rebuilding and the core building and rebuilding her, her pelvic floor and different sorts of details that usually players don't get into. She's been very open about the physical side of it and the mental side. Um, but she also said it's been a new source of motivation for her. That's been one of the, one of the wavering things in her career, as people know, is motivation. And so that has uh, gone in and out in her life. And, and obviously, I said her parents at that point early in her life were motivation for her. And now she has this motivation to make her, her daughter proud as well. So uh, yeah, it's been up and down, but she's been she's in a good place right now, I think, for sure. Let's move into the fourth set, just the 10 ball scramble. I just say something and you say it's word association. I say, you say what comes in your mind. Okay. You ready to roll? Sure. Okay. This isn't in my this isn't in my uh, wheelhouse. Uh, is Sitsadoza is the Sitsipas Bedoza? Wait, what is that situation? I think they're dating. Is that still? I think so. That's still. I think so. last I heard. What can you tell me about Denis Shapovalov? Uh, you came back. You lost to uh, to Preler or some one of the one of the young or Menchik or one of the young Czechs. But he so he's been injured. So he's something he's just happy to be back. Maybe rush a little back because. Getting to play a Grand Slam is exciting, and there's not another one on the horizon for another five months, so. Alexander Zverev, there's news. Yeah, there's a trial day for him in Germany now in, in late May. It'll be during the French Open. They're saying he's, they don't know if he's going to need to attend or not. Uh, probably not if it's during the French Open. I think he would, his team would have been able to probably get that moved. Uh, yeah, so hopefully that keeps going. And a big part of that story is that... Uh, it's been, for all intents and purposes, buried. Yes. Now, hugely. You know, there's just a whole Netflix episode about him. It's a show made for a non-tennis audience, and they conspicuously no mention of any of it, which is incredibly 
irresponsible and, and distasteful to tennis fans. And anyone who knows that story, I think it's, it's incredibly discordant seeing the way they frame that and, and irresponsible. And the ATP should be embarrassed of themselves and, and feel great shame. Is there, is there any other movement? I know you've reached out. Uh, the, tri the trial is the movement, basically. The trial, it, it, this one, unlike uh, the first, first of his two accusers, Anolia, who I was more directly involved with or, or talked to, um, this one's in the court system. So that's going to run its course. That wasn't a real attempt while scrambly question. That was too no. long. Of, <laughs> it begs too long of an answer. Uh, your favorite book? Book of any kind? Temple Scramble, you say whatever it comes All right, mind. so um, favorite, my favorite tennis book is Venus Envy by John Wertheim, which I love. Uh, he wrote that book about the 2000 season of women's tennis, and it's great. It's so full of gossip. It's like, a, I think, a golden era of women's tennis and a lot of big characters. The Williams sisters there, Capriati, Kornikova, Hingis, Davenport, Mary Pierce wins a slam that year. It's great. People should check that book out. It's a really fun, poppy, light read and holds up really well. The best tournament to be credentialed media at? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of different ones. And this tournament's great. Like I said, I, I love coming here. I love getting to well, be... Who's like, who's got the best food? Who's got, who takes care of you? Who's got the best work areas? It's a mix. I would have to get, it's too long an answer to get too into in the weeds on that. But I'll say this one in Wimbledon, I think are probably the two best for media. Wimbledon, they say, is just incredible. Yeah. That's and it improved their food a lot. When, the, when I first got there, the food was very local. You have to understand, you know, Ben and, and Reem, and there's, a, there's just a handful of them that, that they go first ball to last. While the longest time you ever spent on site. I have, I have, I was thinking, I have actually left this tournament grounds after play started the next day. So, like, I've, I've, I've come as people were, at least people walking into the grounds for sure. The gates are open for the next day's play. I've left because working with the New York Times, which I did for 10 years covering this tournament, uh, the, the time difference is crazy. So people come into the office basically at 8 a.m. and they're running early then uh, New York, which is midnight here. So if you're working on a big story, I did a story on a, a match fixing suspicion here back in 2016. There was a mixed doubles match that was very sus. Um, I wanted it being a, a front page story in the New York Times. And so, yes, I don't know if that was the night I stayed past that late, but it was one of those times where you're checking things and vetting things and it can really go uh, very late. So I've definitely seen the sunrise in, in Melbourne quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's rough. And you just drink that, you just drink that coffee. Sleep in the next day. Hopefully hope someone else is covering for you <laughs> the next day, uh, which usually they are. And yeah, but it's a grind. And then honestly, I mean, that's the thing with tennis as the, the job I had is the incredible intense stretches of, of, you know, grand slam being 14 days of 11 AM to 3 AM roughly. And then fades out a little bit at the end, but then basically that's it. And then you can kind of hibernate for couple weeks after and then you can be very all or nothing in terms of the workload how are you feeling about the prevalence of gambling in the sport um it's something that seems to have just become de rigueur it's in, it's yeah. uh ingrained into it uh the betting websites are all over the the windscreens and the backs of a lot of the smaller tournaments yeah. Yeah, I think I think that the you know whatever analogy you want to use the the bear is out of the cage. I think that's running wild, and that's gonna be stopped at this point. And something that a lot of players, especially WTA players, are very uncomfortable with, and the amount of abuse and 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 vitriol and anger they get from these people who lose money betting on them and and send these really nasty, horrible things. Obviously, more to women, more to people of color in the sport. Different kinds of players get different kinds of abuse and social media treatment from gamblers, and it's. It's ugly, and the players also see no direct profits from it too. It's one of the frustrating things. They can't get the sponsors. They can't wear patches. Uh, for uh, gambling houses on their outfits or do commercials for them that's against the rules, but the tournaments can, so they feel like they're being left out of it. It's, I think it's pretty seedy, but I also think it's pretty 
yeah, it seems in the U.S., especially where they're recently gambling, legalizing gambling, gambling state by state, uh, it's it's a flow that's going to keep going. It will keep being more prevalent. It will keep being more people, you know, uh, losing money on gambling too. It's not good for the consumers often either. So yeah, it's a rough rough scene. I've been told that people that gamblers love it because it doesn't stop. Yeah, you could bet on matches all day and all night all across the world. And there's a huge amount of metrics. Yes, yeah, tennis is the perfect sport for gamblers. That's on all time zones all the time. There's never any draws like there are in soccer or other sports. Someone always wins, and there's uh, these like discrete subunits of points, games, sets you can bet on as well. So, right, they like the real time game. Yeah, you could bet in the middle of it. Uh, how are you feeling about our sport second week of the year? Pretty good. I got to say, with Naomi. When she walked on court yesterday, I really got the sense of what had been missing. And honestly, part of it was the jacket. It's like really loud, flashy jacket and the sort of star quality she had. And that sort of household name, crossover, pop star, rock star, whatever you want to call it, energy she brought out, even just with the clothing and presentation. That was an event yeah. itself. That's something that women's tennis has not had since Serena left. And Serena was a pretty, pretty intermittent presence for the last couple of years of her career. That sort of energy and being bigger than the sport and that kind of showmanship, uh, that made me excited, even even if, uh, yeah, because I think I think women, tennis, both men and women combined in 2023, I think had fewer household names on tour than ever before in the history of the sport. I think there'd never been that sort of low. And so people like Naomi coming back online is uh, big. It's awesome. I actually lost my train of thought. I won. My last question was the Sunday start. The Sunday start. It's an unpopular opinion, but I'm all for it. I know a lot of media people don't like it. A lot of people, players don't like it, but. You should be playing on the weekends. If you're, everyone's here for a weekend, you have fans coming on the weekend, people who are working jobs, you to put, they should be playing on, starting on Friday night. I had, Saturday. Ben said, so we were talking a couple few days ago in advance of this. And I uh, said, this Sunday start has got me, you know, screwed up. And he said, you know, it's ever just what he said. Yeah. He said, I think that three weekends yeah. of a major. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what sporting event starts on a Monday morning? How is that exciting? That was Why is that a, a, a great way to build up hype? Yeah, have it be a big event on a Friday night or Saturday night, whatever it is, and make it, make it a big make thing. Make it three weekends. Yeah. Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you were the king of tennis and you can make, I'll give you a few. If you can make changes in the sport, you are, uh, are allowed to do whatever you want with just a swing of the racket or a flick of the pen. What would it be? I feel like I just answered that. I'm going to go with that Friday night start for slams. That's, that's my current uh, hot button thing. Let's go, go with that. Yeah, Friday night start for slams. Yeah, the week before. Like I said, everyone's here. The, the week before tournaments are already dwindling and, and kind of non-events. You can curtail them. They could have things like a 16-player draw those weeks. Even play like third set uh, just as a 10-point tiebreak. There's lots of different things they could do to be more dynamic and not stuck in the old ways. So let's move into that. Does anyone have any questions for Ben? Hi, Ben. Hello. Um, what did you learn about yourself in terms of writing book? As I've informed this question before, I think in terms of the subject in Naomi, I think one of the things that was interesting for me is just that Naomi is always interest, open about always being a, a work in progress, right? And always changing and evolving and, and not needing to see yourself as perfect and being kind to yourself at different times. That's a struggle for her. She goes in and out of moments of being generous and, and harsh with herself. I think I can, that can be applied to my own life and certainly writing. Uh, yeah. Listen, we have to stop the Q and a, um, it was, uh, it was unclear if he would participate, but, uh, Naomi's agent is here and, uh, he, we've been green lighted to bring him up. He's going to talk with us for a little bit. Stuart DeGood is here. 
fresh off of uh, you know a lot of action last this past couple of weeks. How but, good is this? No one's got this. <laughs> no one's doing anything like this. This is incredible. So, what was your last two days like? Um, you know, always before the Grand Slams, it's very so much going on on her side. Obviously, preparation to play the tennis. And on our side, the, the week before the slams is when we transact a lot of the business and we do the sponsor appearances and she has media and it's a very hectic, busy time. And then yesterday, obviously, you know, really, really tough draw. Thought she played pretty well. Really, ups, you know, hard to explain actually, but um, very disappointed for her. Not because of the result so much as it is, um, I think, so much hard work. If you think about the last six months of her journey, like she really has put in an incredible amount of work just to be here. And I think the results probably don't reflect the performance. So I think she's leaving and I think she feels like there's nothing tangible to hold on to. But the intangibles for us were more important. I think showing the signs that she's ready to have a, a great season and that she's right there was probably more important than, you know, if she'd won a few matches and got to the second week, I think we'd have been pretty happy. It would have given her good momentum and been good for her confidence. But in the bigger picture, the more important thing was that we could see her level was actually not too far away from a, a top 10 level. What was the, what were the six months like, uh, up in the morning, training, dieting? What's that, what's, what does that look like? Yeah, I, th I think she really, really trained probably harder in this six months than I think she ever has before, for sure. Much more discipline in terms of, I think, you know, she was up, I think, I think I read about it. I think she must have spoken about it in press maybe, but I think she was up more or less uh, seven every day and she would go, she was, she rented a house nearby her own house where she put her team and her coaches and her hitters and, and physios and stuff. And um, Sorry, she had been practicing in previous years at UCLA and she, you guys got a house with a court. That's right. It was the um, Van Patten house. You know those guys? Jimmy Van Patten. And all. Oh, the Van Pattens, the famous uh, TV family. Vince Van Patten got to like, I think, 18 in the world. Close friend of Brad Gilbert's, Niels Van Patten. These are like a famous Beverly Hills tennis family. Yeah, that's right. And actually, Naomi was hitting with Brad right at the very start for when she was pregnant. And it was Brad that introduced her to these guys, the Van Pattens, who had this very convenient house near her house. Which was great. So she was doing tennis probably the morning, then she was doing gym, and then she would spend a few hours with uh, Shy in the afternoon and then on repeat very early to bed, very disciplined about what she was eating, um, which was, you know, much more advanced in terms of the sports science that she brought to her training. Like previously, it's been a little bit of instinct and feel. This time we brought in um, Florian, um, German guy, and everything really changed. And she actually dropped, you know, she got much fitter once he came on board. Um, just because everything became a lot more scientific. And I think what you saw on the court last night, I would say in six months' time, is going to be a very, very different player. And I think you can see the trajectory of how fit she's going to be. And since she's been away, like the big takeaway um, for me, and I think I learned this from listening to her coach and, and, and trainer, is since she was away, the game has got a lot more physical. So I think the girls play much better defense, especially like Iga, Coco. You know, you don't see anyone blowing people out like Serena do. Even Sabalenka got a ton better moving and uh, better movement and fitness in the last 12 months. So that's the level that she's aspiring to. Kids kicked up. Everything is more... I think it's just more physical. And you've seen that on the men's tour probably in the last five years. And now you're starting to see it on the women's tour. Just strength, explosion out the corners, stuff like that seems to have gone a level up. Yeah, I guess so overall, like how how would you say that she's deals with a, a disappointment? That's one of the things that has been tough for her at times in her career. And obviously, you know, I'm sure you saw her more or less night off you know, off record as well, but just bouncing back after I spending all this time waiting for this tournament, 
to be resilient, I guess is the question for Yeah, the I mean, I think, look, she was, I mean, before she came to press, she was really upset. It was good because we want her to, we want it to hurt, to give her the hunger, to want to come back. Um, and we want her to aspire to play at this level and to win more matches. Um, but yeah, she was, she was really, really disappointed. But I think when she goes home in a few days and she zooms out, like, again, like she only played three matches here, but they were actually all pretty high level matches. And I think she's probably, well, knowing her, she's not pleased because she showed up wanting to win the tournament. Like she, I, I think she realized it was going to be a lot, very, very difficult. But I think that was her, you know, I wouldn't say expectations, but I really think she thought she had a chance and maybe she did have a kinder draw. You know, if she played four, you know, three, four easy matches, like I've seen the other girls coming back, looks like yeah. Bradikanu has a nice draw. Anisimov has a decent draw. In, uh, although you could have played yourself into form. So if she could, if she got into the second week, who knows what would have happened. And I think um, she'll be disappointed with that. But at the same time, I think you'll see her much fitter and much more match sharp in about three to six months. Um, and that's when we could really evaluate where she's at. I see people raising their hands if they want to ask coming to either of us. The, the question was, what kind of guidance did the team give Naomi and why was it unusual? Yeah, I think there's two things to it. One, the, the physical trainer is very much like, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. He's the main trainer for Bayern Munich, which is the, you know, one of the biggest football teams in the world. Very, very experienced guy, um, has seen females come back from maternity leave before. So it's a completely different way to train. Um, you got to really build the core back, which was obviously completely decimated. She, she always wanted to play this tournament. I think it's a, it's her favorite tournament. And I think, um. Being a hardcore event, you know, there's only two, two hardcore slams in the year. So I think it was very important for her to show up at this one and play. But I don't think any of us wanted her to come back and not be competitive. So, you know, I, I think we had to kind of tamper her enthusiasm. I mean, she was watching US Open last year and saying, like, I feel like I could win a couple rounds already. And she was like a month postpartum. So it was more about um, just managing expectations and letting her come back at her own pace. Now, it was a quick pace that she chose, but that was her choice. And we all, you know, we all were, were there for that. So yeah, very unique situation. Um, but also I feel like, again, we're a little disappointed here, but if, and when she comes back and has a really big result, I think this part of her story is one of the most important parts. I think to come back any, any, especially females here, anyone that's had children will know how difficult it is, not just physically, but emotionally, it's probably one of the toughest things you can do to come back to work in any capacity and excel very quickly. So very unique circumstance and we're just you know we're, we're we're doing all we can nothing's perfect um but yeah are you guys negotiating big deals for the olympics is she gonna be like hot and heavy all over japanese tv i don't think it'll be the same as last time you know the tokyo olympics was insane i mean well that was well, that was that was more ways than one but i also feel again feel really bad for her because that was such a if, if those Olympics had gone ahead as planned, it would have been a very different experience than what it was. It was still a very special experience. I mean, I was there with her when she lit the torch and that was probably, you know, of all the things I've done, that was probably the best actually. Very, very cool, very unique. But I think she, she kind of, she got, you know, COVID took that experience away from her a little bit. So she's keen to play in Paris. You're going to have to play a Fed Cup tie if she wants to be available or, or we can't rely on getting a wild card. I think they're controlled by the FFT, so she may have to play a Fed Cup tie. Anyone else have a question? I've got a few, but uh, if anyone has something for Stu or, or Ben, you should ask it. This is a phenomenal uh, opportunity. These guys are, oh, when are you leaving? You guys fly private here? What do you do? Come on, well, give me a break. 
you know you guys don't you don't you don't you guys don't uh, lease uh, 747 no you don't absolutely not what area do you but you fly I, she flies uh, she'll when, fly commercial yeah. when is she leaving um she'll leave in the next 48 hours i think probably all, all the team will leave tomorrow and uh maybe we'll do something nice tonight get together um but you gotta let everybody know you know that this show is just between us yeah i, I don't know the exact location yet but okay. um we'll, we'll be out somewhere in, in melbourne i imagine Last question for me, and maybe Ben has something to close this, but what's it like working with her? Does she scream at you? Is she, does she like, does she ghost you for days? She used to. Yeah. No, it's, 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 she's a really special person. I think I've seen her evolve a lot. Um, when I first met her, like she, she wasn't speaking very much. Let's put it that way. I, I think everyone knows that. It's no secret, yeah, you know. For sure. She would speak more probably to Ben in the press room than she would to people <laughs> in her, in her real life. Yeah. Um, but she's a much different character, and I think motherhood has brought out another level to her. But yeah, she's a very special person, very grateful, always, always says thanks, please and thank you, very humble, um, which you don't get from a lot of the tennis players, to be honest. I mean, I've been doing this 15 years, and the amount that do say please and thank you is probably less than 50%. But she's a really good person with a good heart and um, probably has been misunderstood in some circumstances over the years, I think. I'm only 100 pages into Ben's book, but I appreciate the fact he shed a light on a lot of stuff that, you know, there was probably a little bit more to the story than was reported. But yeah, she, she's a good person for sure. Yeah, no, I, I echo that. And I'm glad people are hopefully yeah, getting to understand her better. That's something, something you said even too from reading the book yourself, Craig, that having finished it, you feel like you got a deeper understanding of this person who obviously it's very talked about and very watched, but not always very, very understood. There's an old Apple computer t-shirt that I can't ever get out of my head when this situation comes up, but it says, generally speaking, it's hard to dislike someone once you learn their story. There you go. Okay. Listen, this has been tremendous. Enjoy the Australian Open. This is the best. We love it here. Stu, thanks for uh, coming. And uh, Ben, this is tremendous. Anybody that wants to say hello how to buy a book you should and that's it for my show i always release the guests and i always release the crowd so that is it thank you very much you are released